chapter three of dutch and english on the hudson by maud wilder goodwin this librivox recording is in the public domain patroons and lords of the manor their high mightinesses the states-general of the united netherlands as we have seen granted to the dutch west india company a charter conveying powers nearly equalling and often overlapping those of the states themselves the west india company in turn with a view to stimulating colonization granted to certain members known as patroons manorial rights frequently in conflict with the authority of the company and for a time it seemed as though the patroonship would be the prevailing form of grant in new netherland the system of patroonships seems to have been suggested by killian van rensselaer one of the directors of the west india company and a lapidary of amsterdam who later became the most successful of the patroons a shrewd keen far-seeing man he was one of the first of the west india company to perceive that the building up of new netherland could not be carried on without labour and that labour could not be procured without permanent settlers open up the country with agriculture that must be our first step was his urgent advice but the dwellers in the netherlands finding themselves prosperous in their old homes saw no reason for emigrating and few offered themselves for the overseas settlements the west india company was not inclined to involve itself in further expense for colonization and matters threatened to come to a halt when someone very likely the shrewd killian himself evolved the plan of granting large estates to men willing to pay the cost of settling and operating them from this suggestion the scheme of patroonship was developed the list of privileges and exemptions published by the west india company in sixteen hundred and twenty nine declared that all should be acknowledged patroons of new netherland who should within the space of four years plant there a colony of fifty souls upwards of fifteen years old the island of the manhattas was reserved for the company the patroons it was stimulated must make known the situation of their proposed settlements but they were allowed to change should their first location prove unsatisfactory the lands were to extend sixteen miles along the shore on one side of a navigable river or eight miles on both sides of a river and so far into the country as the situation of the colonies and their settlers permitted the patroons were entitled to dispose of their grants by will and they were free to traffic along the coast of new netherland for all goods except furs which were to be the special perquisite of the west india company they were forbidden to allow the weaving of linen woollen or cotton cloth on their estates the looms in holland being hungry for raw material 
the company agreed that it would not take any one from the service of the patroon during the years for which the servant was bound and any colonist who should without written permission enter the service of another patroon or betake himself to freedom was to be proceeded against with all the available force of the law the escaped servant would fare ill if his case came before the courts since it was one of the prerogatives of a patroon to administer high middle and low justice that is to appoint magistrates and direct courts which should deal with all grades of crimes committed within the limits of the manor and also with breaches of the civil law in civil cases disputes over contracts titles and such matters where the amount in litigation exceeded twenty dollars as well as in criminal cases affecting life and limb it was possible to appeal to the director and council at fort amsterdam but the local authorities craftily evaded this provision by compelling their colonists to promise not to appeal from the tribunal of the manor the sure plector or hangman was included with the superintendent the schout fiscal or sheriff and the magistrates as part of the manorial court system one such sure plector named jan de negger perhaps a freed negro is named among the dwellers at Rensselaerswick, and we find him presenting a claim for thirty-eight florins fifteen dollars for executing wolf neeson no man in the manorial colony was to be deprived of life or property except by sentence of a court composed of five people and all accused persons were entitled to a speedy and impartial trial as we find little complaint of the administration of justice in all the records of disputes reproaches and recriminations which mark the records of those old manners we must assume that the processes of law were carried on in harmony with the spirit of fairness prevailing in the home country even before the west india company had promulgated its charter a number of rich merchants had availed themselves of the opportunity to secure lands under the offered privileges and exemptions godden and flamart in association with captain david de vries and others took up a large territory on delaware bay and here they established a colony called swanendale which was destroyed by the indians in sixteen hundred and thirty-two mindert mindertson established his settlement on the mainland behind staten island and his manor extended from actor cool or newark bay to the tappan zee one of the first patents recorded was granted to michael paw in sixteen hundred and thirty in the documentary record the director and council of new netherland under the authority of their high mightinesses the lords states-general and the west india company department of amsterdam testify to the bargain made with the natives who are treated throughout with legal ceremony as if they were high contracting parties and fully capable of understanding the transaction in which they were engaged these original owners of the soil appeared before the council and declared that in consideration of certain merchandise 
they agreed to transfer seed convey and deliver for the benefit of the honourable mr michael paw as true and lawful freehold the land at hoboken hacking opposite manhattan so that he or his heirs may take possession of the aforesaid land live on it in peace inhabit own and use it without that they the conveying party shall have or retain the least pretension right power or authority either concerning ownership or sovereignty but herewith they desist abandon withdraw and renounce in behalf of aforesaid now and for ever totally and finally it must have been a pathetic and yet a diverting spectacle when the simple red men thus swore away their title to the broad acres of their fathers for a consideration of beads shells blankets and trinkets but when they listened to the subtleties of dutch law as expounded by the dogberries at fort amsterdam they may have been persuaded that their simple minds could never contend with such masters of language and that they were on the whole fortunate to secure something in exchange for their land which they were bound to lose in any event it has been the custom to ascribe to the dutch and quakers the system of paying for lands taken from the indians but fisk points out that this conception is a mistake and he goes on to state that it was a general custom among the english and that not a rood of ground in new england was taken from the savages without recompense except when the pequots began a war and were exterminated the payment in all cases however was a mere farce and of value only in creating good feeling between savages and settlers as to the ethics of the transaction much might be said on both sides the red men would be justified in feeling that they had been kept in ignorance of the relative importance of what they gave and what they received while the whites might maintain that they created the values which ensued upon their purchase and that if they had not come lands along the great river would have remained of little account in any case the recorded transaction did not prove a financial triumph for the purchaser as the enterprise cost much in trouble and outlay and did not meet expenses the property was resold to the company seven years later at a price however of twenty six thousand guilders which represented a fair margin of profit over the certain merchandise paid to the original owners eight years earlier very soon after the purchase of the land on the west shore of the north river paul bought under the same elaborate legal forms the whole of staten island so called in honour of the staten or states-general to the estate he gave the title of pavonia a latinized form of his own name staten island was subsequently purchased from paw by the company and transferred with the exception of the bowries of captain de vries to cornelius mellon who was thus added to the list of patroons other regions also were erected into patroon ships but almost all were either unsuccessful from the beginning or short-lived the patroon ship most successful most permanent and most typical was rensselaerswick which offers the best opportunity for a study of the dutch colonial system van rensselaer though he did not apparently intend to make a home for himself in new netherland 
was one of the first to ask for a grant of land he received subject to payment to the indians a tract of country to the north and south of fort orange but not including that trading-post which like the island of manhattan remained under the control of the west india company by virtue of this grant and later purchases van rensselaer acquired a, a tract comprising what are now the counties of albany and rensselaer with part of columbia of this tract called Rensselaerswick, van rensselaer was named patroon and five other men godden blomart de layet bissels and Massart, whom he had been forced to conciliate by taking into partnership were named co-directors later the claims of these five associates were bought out by the van rensselaer family in sixteen hundred and thirty the first group of emigrants for this new colony sailed on the ship eindracht and reached fort orange at the end of june how crude was the settlement which they established we may judge from the report made some years later by father jogues a jesuit missionary who visited rensselaer's wick in sixteen hundred and forty three he speaks of a miserable little fort built of logs and having four or five pieces of batruya cannon he describes also the colony as composed of about a hundred persons who reside in some twenty-five or thirty houses built along the river as each found most convenient the patroon's agent was established in the principal house while in another which served also as a church was domicile the domine the rev johannes megapolensis jr the houses he describes as built of boards and roofed with thatch having no mason work except in the chimneys the settlers had found some ground already cleared by the natives and had planted it with wheat and oats in order to provide beer and horse fodder but being hemmed in by somewhat barren hills they had been obliged to separate in order to obtain arable land the settlements therefore spread over two or three leagues the fear of raids from the savages prompted the patroon to advise that with the exception of the brewers and tobacco planters who were obliged to live on their plantations no other settlers should establish themselves at any distance from the church which was the village centre for says the prudent van rensselaer every one residing where he thinks fit separated far from others would be unfortunately in danger of their lives in the same manner as sorrowful experience has taught around the manhattans our sympathy goes out to those early settlers who lived almost as serfs under their patroon the women forbidden to spin or weave the men prohibited from trading in the furs which they saw building up fortunes around them they sat by their lonely hearths in a little clearing of the forest listening to the howl of wolves and fearing to see a savage face at the window this existence was a tragic change indeed from the lively social existence along the canals of amsterdam or on the stoops of rotterdam nor can we feel that these tenants were likely to be greatly cheered by the library established at rensselaer's wick unless they were hidden away a list of more interesting books than those described in the patroon's invoice as sent in an oosters or oriental box these volumes include a scripture concordance the works of calvin of livy and of ursinus the friend of melanchthon a treatise on arithmetic by adrian medius 
the history of the holy land and a work on natural theology as all the titles are in latin it is to be presumed that the body of the text was written in the same language and we may imagine the light and cheerful mood which they inspired in their readers after a day of manual toil i suspect however that the evening hours of these tenants at rensselaerswick were spent in anxious keeping of accounts with a wholesome fear of the patroon before the eyes of the accountants life on the bowries was by no means inexpensive even according to modern standards bearing in mind that a stiver was equivalent to two cents of our currency and a florin to forty cents it is easy to calculate the cost of living in the decade between sixteen hundred and thirty and sixteen hundred and forty as set down in the accounts of Rensselaerswick a blanket cost eight florins a hat ten florins an iron anvil one hundred florins a musket and cartouche box nineteen florins a copper sheep's bell one florin and six divers on the other hand all domestic produce was cheap because the tenant and patroon preferred to dispose of it in the settlements rather than by transporting it to new amsterdam we learn with envy that butter was only eight stivers or sixteen cents per pound a pair of fowl two florins a beaver twenty-five florins how hard were the terms on which the tenants held their leases is apparent from a report written by the guardians and tutors of jan van rensselaer a later patroon of rensselaer's wick the patroon reserved to himself the tenth of all grains fruits and other products raised on the bowery the tenant was bound in addition to his rent of five hundred guilders or two hundred dollars to keep up the roads repair the buildings cut ten pieces of oak or fir wood and bring the same to the shore he must also every year give to the patroon three days service with his horses and wagon each year he was to cut split and bring to the waterside two fathoms of firewood and he was further to deliver yearly to the director as quit rent two bushels of wheat twenty-five pounds of butter and two pairs of fowls it was the difficult task of the agent of the colony to harmonize the constant hostilities between the patroon and his people then curler's letter to killian van rensselaer begins laus deo at the manhattans this sixteenth june sixteen hundred forty three most honourable wise powerful and right discreet lord my lord patroon after which propitiatory beginning it embarks at once on a reply to the reproaches which the honourable wise and powerful lord has heaped upon his obedient servant van curler admits that the accounts and books have not been forwarded to holland as they should have been but he pleads the difficulty of securing returns from the tenants whom he finds slippery in their accounting everything they have laid out on account of the lord patroon they well know how to specify for what was expended but what has been laid out for their private use that they know nothing about if the patroon's relations with his tenants were thorny he had no less trouble in his dealings with the director-general at new amsterdam it is true peter minuit the first important director was removed in sixteen hundred and thirty two by the company for unduly favouring the patroons and van twiller another director and a nephew of van rensselaer 
by marriage was not disposed to antagonize his relative but when van twiller was replaced by kieft and he in turn by stuyvesant the horizon at rensselaerswyck grew stormy in sixteen hundred and forty three the patroon ordered nicholas Kuhn to fortify biren or bears island and to demand a toll of each ship except those of the west india company that passed up and down the river he also required that the colours on every ship be lowered in passing rensselaer's stein or castle rensselaer as the fort on the steep little island was named govert luke ermans sailing down the river one day on the ship good hope failed to salute the flag whereupon a lively dialogue ensued to the following effect and not we may be assured carried on in low or amicable tones corn lower your colours lukermans for whom should i corn for the staple right of rensselaer's wick lukermans i lower my colours for no one except the prince of orange and the lords my masters the practical result of this interchange of amenities was a shot which tore the mainsail of the good hope perforated the princely flag and so enraged the skipper that on his arrival at new amsterdam he hastened to lay his grievance before the council who thereupon ordered corn to behave with more civility the patroon system was from the beginning doomed to failure as we study the old documents we find a sullen tenantry an obsequious and careworn agent a dissatisfied patroon an impatient company a bewildered government and all this in a new and promising country where the natives were friendly the transportation easy the land fertile the conditions favourable to that conservation of human happiness which is and should be the aim of civilization the reason for the discontent which prevailed is not far to seek and all classes were responsible for it for they combined in planting an anachronistic feudalism in a new country which was dedicated by its very physical conditions to liberty and democracy the settlers came from a nation which had battled through long years in the cause of freedom they found themselves in a colony adjoining those of englishmen who had braved the perils of the wilderness to establish the same principles of liberty and democracy no sane mind could have expected the dutch colonists to return without protest to a mediaeval system of government when the english took possession of new netherland in sixteen hundred and sixty four the old patroon ships were confirmed as manorial grants from england as time went on many new manors were erected until when the province was finally added to england in sixteen hundred and seventy four the lords of the manor along the hudson had taken on the proportions of a landed aristocracy on the lower reaches of the river lay the van cortlandt and Flips manors the first containing eighty-five thousand acres and a house so firmly built that it is still standing with its walls of freestone three feet thick the Phillips manor at tarrytown represented the remarkable achievement of a self-made man born in the old world and a carpenter by trade who rose in the new world to fortune and eminence by dint of business acumen and by marrying two heiresses in succession he achieved wealth and built castle Phillips and the picturesque little church at sleepy hollow still in use farther up the river lay the livingston manor in sixteen hundred and eighty five robert livingston was granted by governor dongan 
a patent of a tract halfway between new york and Rensselaerswyck, across the river from the catskills and covering many thousand acres but the estate of which we know most thanks to the records left by mrs grant of lagan in her memoirs of an american lady written in the middle of the eighteenth century is that belonging to the schuylers at the flats near albany which runs along the western bank of the hudson for two miles and is bordered with sweeping elm trees the mansion consisted of two stories and an attic through the middle of the house ran a wide passage from the front to the back door at the front door was a large stoop open at the sides and with seats around it one room was open for company the other apartments were bedrooms a drawing-room being an unheard-of luxury the house fronted the river on the brink of which under shades of elm and sycamore ran the great road toward saratoga stillwater and the northern lakes adjoining the orchard was a huge barn raised from the ground by beams which rested on stone and held up a massive oak floor on one side ran a manger cattle and horses stood in rows with their heads toward the threshing-floor there was a prodigious large box or open chest in one side built up for holding the corn after it was threshed and the roof which was very lofty and spacious was supported by large cross-beams from one to the other of these was stretched a great number of long poles so as to form a sort of open loft on which the whole rich crop was laid up altogether it is an attractive picture of peace and plenty of hospitality and simple luxury that is drawn by this visitor to the schuyler homestead we see through her eyes its carpeted winter rooms its hall covered with tiled oilcloth and hung with family portraits its vine-covered stoops provided with ledges for the birds and affording pleasant views of the winding river and the distant hills such a picture relieves pleasantly the arid waste of historical statistics but the reader who dwells too long on the picturesque aspects of manors and patroonships is likely to forget that new netherland was peopled for the most part by colonists who were neither patroons nor lords of manors it was the small proprietors who eventually predominated on western long island on staten island and along the hudson in the end it has been well said this form of grant played a more important part in the development of the province than did the larger fiefs for which such detailed provision was made in the chapter three